stay curious, get out there, try new things until you find something that really grabs you. And um, it's out there. It's not all sports. It's not all outdoors. Sometimes it's the arts. Sometimes it's business. Sometimes it's family, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just find that thing that grabs you. And once you have that, then the rest of your life just gets amplified from there. So that could be business. That could be individuals, people with and without disabilities. I just like to tell people to stay curious. If you're not curious anymore, you've gotten complacent in life, and that's a dangerous place to be in my book. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up, and welcome to episode 97 of Life in Motion. I've got Joe Stone with me, who is the director, director of mission at Teton Adaptive Sports. Their mission is to promote, support, and develop outdoor sports and recreation for people with disabilities. I'm excited to learn how they're doing this and why it's so important to make the outdoors accessible for everyone. Uh, Joe, thank you for being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. I'm excited to, uh, to, to learn more about you know, what you all do at Teton uh, uh, adaptive sports uh and looking at you know your your social profile as well it seems like you're into some pretty awesome things as well um so before we get into that let's start with kind of your your background story your origin story you know kind of where you grew up um you know kind of you know kind of the the path that you've taken to kind of get where you are today yeah well my story starts by growing up in minneapolis i i moved around a lot before then but i ended up landing in minneapolis with my family when i was about 10 years old and from there that's that's where i grew up that's where i developed you know my my kind of long-term friendships and also started you know the growth process of learning what it is i want to do in my life and that was steered in the direction of the outdoors thanks to my parents for making sure to take time to get my sisters and I up to Northern Minnesota to go camping. I used to hunt and fish a lot with my dad. We spent a lot of time in the outdoors. It's land at 10,000 lakes. So if you're not really fishing, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're doing in Minnesota. Um, and so, yeah, we, that was kind of like my, my, my younger years, but we grew up in a suburb just South of Minneapolis. And within that was a little bit different of an environment versus Northern Minnesota that had more open space and, and more wilderness areas. And so I started exploring the concrete jungle on rollerblades. So this oh. is back in the day when rollerblading was a lot more popular than it is today in terms of like doing tricks on handrails and going to skate parks and that sort of thing. So rollerblading became my first love in the outdoors, really, like my first really big passion. And that really guided me for about 10 or 12 years of trying to progress and get better within that and skate as much as possible. And, and uh, yeah, led me down a road that was really interesting and, and really fun and really cool and met a bunch of really amazing people and, and, and really opened my mind to what life is like with having passions yeah. and how great it is to have a passion for something in life. So from there, like I kind of hit a point when I was in my early 20s where, you know, the injuries were stacking up and I was recognizing that at, at that point in my life, like it's probably not realistic for me to, you know, become the pro rollerblader that I always was hoping to be. Uh, but within that, that kind of opened up this opportunity to find something new. So skating was still a part of my life, but it was no longer the, like the main thing I was doing. I started getting really curious about trying other things. So got back into more of the outdoors side of things, started backpacking, camping, started going like to the boundary waters with friends. Um, yeah. And just started trying a whole bunch of new things, which eventually led to really, I was searching for a new passion, which is hard to find. 
And so I was staying as curious as possible to try new things. And I kind of dialed in on a, that I wanted to become a base jumper. Okay. And base jumping takes something that has a lot of uh, practice and training that goes on beforehand through skydiving. So I looked up the local skydiving outfit in Minnesota and started jumping with them and making my way towards that. And after a um, couple years of doing that and a few trips that were in the mountains, especially one up in Alaska, that steered me in a direction to want to actually move out West to be in the mountains. So I was about 23 years old and uh, quit my job and loaded up my truck and moved everything out to Montana. And so I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. I didn't know anybody in the town. And it was truly me just trying to explore a whole new area and, and take my outdoor adventure life that I was discovering and bring it to the mountains. And yeah, I'll take a break there and see if you got any questions within that. But um, that's like the, the quick and dirty of the early stages of life that, that led me to kind of the beginning of where I'm at now. Yeah, for sure. One, uh, it's not really a question, but I like how you um, described kind of the rollerblading aspect of it as like, that was your take of like getting um, your first like real ta taste of like getting serious about the outdoors, which I think is great because a lot of people don't, I, I feel like don't kind of um, see those two things as, as one, if that makes sense. Um, and I say that as an example, I grew up riding BMX bikes um, and that kind of stuff, but that was sort of my outdoor activity, even though you're not, you know, in the woods per se, I guess you are with some, some cases with BMX, but you know, everything like that. So I, th so I just think that was an interesting thing that you described it that way. Cause I totally agree. Um, but so, so kind of, you know, obviously you had that passion growing up with that and then kind of got more into um, the outdoors, outdoors part of it. And then you know, one, I mean, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty, you know, crazy for some people just be like, Hey, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm just going to pack up everything and I'm going to head out West. And it sounds like you sort of, you know, you didn't really know anybody there at that time. So in Montana, Mon Montana, if I can speak is, was the spot. What, what made you choose that? Was it more like a, you know, I'm just going to pick a place on the map that sounds good, or maybe I visited, visited it once, or, you know, what, what, I guess, what was it about Montana that kind of drew you there? Yeah, I, it was, so one, it was terrifying. So the idea <laughs> of not being scary, you know, that's one thing I really like people to know, like even with the activities and sports and stuff that I do now, but you know, it's like, I'm scared when I do stuff, I'm not like invincible or I'm not like this fearless person. So moving to Montana at 23, not knowing anyone, never having made that big of a move, especially to a place where I didn't really know anybody or have a job or had, there was so many uncertainties. Uh, it was, it was super scary, but I knew that it was kind of one of those, like, I'm going to regret not doing this. So, um, I can always move back. If things aren't working out, I can always go back to what I know, which was kind of how I looked at it. The way I found Missoula, Montana, so there's a lot of places out West that you can move. And if you start researching it, it's overwhelming if you, especially when you've never been to most of the places. And I had a boss at the restaurant that I worked at as a bartender and server at a restaurant. And my boss had spent his whole life visiting Missoula and Whitefish, Montana, because that's where his grandparents lived. And so his whole childhood growing up and then his adult life making trips out there on his own he spent summers out in those areas and he was like, dude, you should, you should look into Montana. You should look into Missoula specifically. I think you'd really like it. And so I went online and researched the area 
and it had fly fishing, which I cared about. It had skydiving not too far away, which I cared about. Um, plenty of options for backpacking. Uh, mountain biking was something that I wanted to get into. I was a road biker at the time, just again, living in the concrete jungle. That's, you know, the pavement was easier to find than, than dirt trails. So all of the activities I was looking into uh, existed. And I was like, cool, that's a spot. I'm just going to start there. And if I don't like that, I'll move somewhere else or whatever. But eventually it's just, you got to start somewhere. So, so there's just like so many reasons. And I think we all get caught up in it sometime where it's like, you know, well, I have to get this done or I have to have this accomplished or this piece needs to be finished before I can go do this thing. You know, or all these things need to be just right before I go try to make this one thing happen. That could be a career shift. That could be a hobby shift. That could be whatever. But that was one of those areas where I was like, I'm just going to, it seems to be a decent fit and it's not permanent. So I'm going to go test it out and see what it's like. And so I just, I hit, I, you know, I saved up money for about a year so I could at least relax for a little bit, um, both in not having a job, but also giving me an opportunity to get there and explore the area before locking down a job. And, and yeah, I just hit the road and, and yeah, it was, it was a super cool, you know, a funny story, a friend of mine, this is back in the, the CD days, um, and a friend of mine made me a mixed CD, and it had whatever twelve or fourteen songs on it. And right when I was heading, I was heading south in Minnesota, and and like literally right when I turned the blinker on to get on I ninety west, which was like a big moment in that drive. Like I'm I'm doing it. I'm heading west. This song came on that he had put on. There was whatever ten tracks into it or something. And the first line was it was like I'm heading out west. that is weird okay this must be right because that's lining up for some reason yeah so that was yeah that was i really just jumped into it and and i was terrified i didn't know what i was doing i had no idea what i was going to do at this point i didn't really even know how to travel like out of my truck and just try to do it as cheaply as possible so i was learning every minute i was learning something new that's awesome and that's 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 really funny about the story there with the song um it, it was obviously meant to be uh yeah (laughs) <laughs> so so once you got out there you know you, you mentioned it it had some some activities obviously that that you were already doing or interested in and then some other ones you kind of wanted to add to your list so like making that transition from you know the concrete jungle to some place where all that stuff was around you what was that like what was what was the community like you know kind of bringing you in kind of as you took that that transition period of you know getting acclimated out there it, you know, it was, it was something that was, it, it was challenging at times, but it was all really exciting at the same time. So, you know, I showed up there and I just, I had never even, so I looked into, I, and I did this on purpose. I looked into the, the recreation around Missoula, but I never looked into the town. I never saw any pictures of the town. And I kind of made a point to like, I don't really want to know what it looks like until I get there. And, and that was just for whatever reason, just to make it a little bit more exciting for myself. And I, so when I showed up, it was like, oh, like this is Missoula. Like I remember like Missoula in 20 miles, Missoula in seven miles, Missoula, you know, next three exits. And I was like, whoa, I'm like here, you know? <laughs> so I got in there and I took the, the first exit into Missoula and I, I ended up finding this parking lot that was for one of the, it's, there's a mountain there that has M on it. And it's got a trail that you can hike up that goes to the M. And I was, so I ended up just randomly finding this parking lot and went in there and I was like, cool. And so I hiked up the trail and I had this beautiful view looking over Missoula and I was like, this is the town. All right. Like this is, I got to make something happen here. 
And then I went down and I grabbed one of my bikes. I used to ride fixed gear bikes at the time. And so I grabbed my little, my city bike, my fixie and started cruising around and, and just started like checking out the area. But as far, it, it was a tough town to find a job because it's a small town. Um, they were pretty old fashioned at the time. They didn't really like to hire guys as servers in restaurants, which was interesting. I found, you know, that was a, a shift in mindset from what I was used to in Minneapolis. And I, so what everything I like was doing before, I was like, it's pretty hard to find a bartending job or a, or a serving job in this town. So I remember like biking by this one fine dining restaurant. I saw this guy out there and he was opening up a nice bottle of wine, presenting it to the people and then giving them the little, like the taster and, and then, uh, and then pouring glasses of wine. And I just saw the whole thing as I was biking by. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I've been doing that for years. I want to, I want to get back to doing something that's, um, you know, a little bit more, uh, I guess my style. And so I, I, you know, opened up my toolbox to fix my bike one day. And I was like, I want to work out of this thing again. I want to do use tools again. And so I ended up finding, I was looking for an apartment and, um, one of the places was called Bitterroot Prop, uh, Bitterroot Property Management. This is like a month, month and a half into me living in Missoula and I was living out of my truck. And, um, anyway, so I went, it was like a Friday and I went and talked to this guy, Will, he was the owner of the business. And I was, there was an apartment I wanted to look at, but I wasn't going to be able to see it till Monday. And he was like, well, where are you staying in the meantime? I was like, oh, I'm just sleeping in my truck or, you know, going camping up in the woods or whatever. And he's like, here, I'll give you this note, put it on your dash. You can park in our parking lot behind here. Then in the morning you have access to the coffee shop and you use the bathroom, stuff like that. And then that way you don't have to worry about like where you're sleeping or whatever. It's like, oh, no way. That's so nice of you. So <laughs> slept there. And that was really the first person that like welcomed me into the community. So I've been doing some temp job work and some construction work within like through a temp agency, but Will was really the first guy that was like, because I ended up going and looking at the apartment a few days later, came back, was like, I like the apartment. Um, I want I want I want that apartment, a little studio. And he was like, well, how's, how's the job hunt going? And I was like, ah, that part's pretty non-existent. He's like, okay. And so I kept doing temp work. And then like two, like a month or two later, he approached me again and was like, how's the job hunt going? At this point, it was getting kind of desperate. Like my bank account was low and I was getting kind of nervous and all that. And I was like, well, it's pretty hard to find a job. I'm not going to lie. The temp agency is keeping me afloat, but you know, I'm doing what I can. And he looked over at one of the other guys who worked in the office and they kind of both like nodded. And then he was like, well, you want a job here? And I was like, what, doing what? And he's like, well, do you know how to work with tools? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you know how to like fix holes in walls and you know, can you help us clean up apartments to get them prepped and ready for new tenants and you know, are you willing to do whatever it takes to like, you're going to come into some apartments that are really gross and dirty and you're going to have to do some things that you've probably never done before that you probably don't want to do, but it'll get it ready for the next tenant. And I was like, uh, dude, I'll do whatever. Like, yeah. And so they were like, cool, you're hired. You want to start right now? And I was like, yeah, totally. So the <laughs> apartment and start cleaning it. And I was like, sweet. And so um, that was the start to it. And, you know, I, I, within that, I met the local rollerbladers in that town at the skate park. And so I kind of met, that's like rollerblading is kind of one of, just like all these like outdoor sports, like people that do it, that are really passionate about it. They're kind of the glue that like holds the, the, you know, these friendships and these communities together. That sport just kind of creates that adhesiveness that just brings you in and attaches you to people. And so I, I met rollerbladers in town. They were super awesome. So I was skating with them and um, starting to meet some mountain bikers and slowly but surely, you know, like I had a job, I had a place to live. I had some friends. And it was, you know, game on. I was really enjoying Missoula. And it, it was really, a, really a, like a highlight in my life, for sure, that, that time period, just because of all the unknowns going into it and the way it was unfolding and how happy I was. And it was, it was really neat. It was a super cool time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's really interesting. You know, kind of 
you know, making, making the decision in the first place. And then kind of, you know, even, even will, as you said, you know, seeing some, Oh, I'm just staying in my car hiking. Like some people will be like, Oh, what's up with this guy, you know, but to be welcoming in that situation, obviously, you know, you were, you're out there to, to do good and all that stuff anyways, but I'm just saying kind of from an outsider standpoint, it's cool that he saw that um, to kind of give you those opportunities and then obviously kind of get welcomed into the community that, that way. Um, so, so I guess where, where was the, the next journey after that? So after that, you know, I was, I was still searching for that passion. So that was the thing that was like really behind me is I just wasn't super passionate about anything. Like loved role waiting, still love role waiting. It was a huge part of my life. I still follow it today. Like I know what's going on within that industry, but it was turned into just something I did on the side and did wasn't, it didn't grab me. Like I, it did at one point in my life because I kind of like, I set it a little bit to the side. I wasn't letting it, you know, guide me through everything like it was earlier in my life skydiving out there was a little tougher than what the internet told me so there wasn't as much jumping going on as i had hoped and so to get into base jumping you need to jump quite a bit and pretty frequently and be pretty current and i wasn't able to get as much of that in so i was trying to figure out like well how can i work still towards this base jumping goal i don't want to let go of that um while i'm in this area where i can't get as much skydiving and then i ended up finding this i think it was like a red bull video or something like that of some dude speed flying on like the eiger in europe and I was like, whoa, speed flying, that is neat. It was like brand new sport, right? Not, not many people were doing it. And I was like, that is really cool. And so I, I learned that like how speed flying started was with people taking their skydiving rigs and canopies and flying off the mountains with those without jumping, like running off the mountain, getting it inflated over their head and, and, and then running off and flying the canopy down. So it was all canopy flight, no free fall. And I was like, well, I've got a skydiving rig, so I can probably do that. And so I went up on Mount Jumbo because I'd seen like paragliders flying up there. And at that time I thought paragliding and hang gliding was kind of an old man sport. Like I didn't really get it. I didn't know anything about it, but I was going up there, which I was completely wrong, but side note, but um, <laughs> I, I was going up there and I had a backpack that looked kind of like what all the paragliders carry. And I started hiking up the mountain. And this one guy was sitting leaning against his backpack in the area where now I know that they land. And he looks over and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm just going for a hike. He's like, what's in the backpack? And I was like, Oh, it's my, my skydiving rig. I was going to go up there and like hide it, get it up in the air and, and potentially fly off the mountain. I don't know. I was just going to go mess around with it. And he was like, come, why don't you come sit down for a minute? And, uh, <laughs> and so I sat down next to him and we started chatting and he was like, so, you know, like, I don't think this is the, the approach you want to take, you know, just to go up there on your own and learn how to do it and, and try to teach yourself. He's like, I know where, I know a couple places where you can go to learn how to speed fly. This guy actually was one of the, he was the only other speed flyer in Missoula. There wasn't a lot of them out there in general. And he was like, I speed fly and all this, here's some people, here's some contacts. And he kind of helped. He was like the first person to help kind of steer me in a direction to, to actually learn properly. So I went out to Bozeman, Montana, learned how to speed fly from a guy, um, came back, started speed flying a ton, like five days a week, um, whenever the weather would allow. I was hiking a thousand foot mountain three to five times a day, uh, just trying to get in as many flights in the evenings or mornings as I possibly could. And, and yeah, I was getting, hitting it pretty hard for about a month, month and a half. And then I started making a bad move, which was teach myself maneuvers, barrels specifically, where you kind of almost do a flip over your, over your canopy. And I made some mistakes after about a week of practicing that maneuver. 
and my I collapsed part of my wing. I was flying alone that day. Um, my lines got tangled up and I spiraled down and crashed pretty hard into the mountain. So the before I go into like any of that, the I had found my passion with speed flying and I got pretty obsessed with it and I got pretty addicted to it really quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's back. This is that feeling I had of rollerblading. Like this was it, right? Like I found it. And so I was super pumped for about a month and a half. And then when I crashed, um, I don't remember any of that obviously, but it started a whole new journey of, you know, a C7 quadriplegic being a wheelchair user full time and having to rediscover life all over again. And I felt, you know, looking back on it now, I feel really fortunate that I had that period of going from something I was very passionate about, which was rollerblading, to not having a passion and being like, I gotta get that feeling back. And then knowing that I did get it back, it was achievable to have that feeling again. So then when I got injured again, not and, and not to make it like sound light or anything, but then back of my mind, I was like, there was after some time, obviously, I was like, there's a way to have that feeling again. There's a way to be passionate about life again. I just gotta search. I just gotta stay curious. So the speed flying accident almost killed me. And I was in a coma for about a month and uh, induced coma. I had really bad lung problems from the damage I did to them. Laceration of my liver, broke four ribs, broke it, uh, eight vertebrae throughout my neck and back and spinal cord damage at the C7 level. So I was diagnosed as a incomplete C7 quadriplegic, paralyzed from the chest down, no grip in my left hand, uh, pretty good function in my right hand, but it's not full functioning and then full function in my arms. So quadriplegia just means you have impairment in all four limbs. And that was how I was diagnosed. So I was on a whole new journey at that point to rediscovering life. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a, a unfortunate and terrifying uh, experience as well. Um, and, and so, and kind of to, to backtrack, you know, you're, you mentioned, you know, you found the, the, uh, the passion with rollerblading and kind of the, that lull right there, you know, you're, you're looking for that again, you found it. And then obviously something like that happened, which, you know, changes the trajectory. So, and obviously you're, you're, you're back on, it seems like you're back on that trajectory now, but, you know, I guess immediately after that incident and stuff, what was it like, I guess, what, what was the drive behind you or kind of the, the switch that flipped kind of in your, in your head, as far as, you know, I'm not going to let this this hold me back from anything. I'm going to find the next way to find that, that passion and that, that can't, that same kind of drive that I had before, like what, what kind of pulled you through that to not, you know, dwell and, 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 you know, just kind of overthink it, if that makes sense. You know, the beginning of it all was, was not easy. It was, that was definitely the darkest moments in my life. Um, I woke up from the coma and like I was on a ventilator. I could feed myself. I wasn't able to swallow food because when I would swallow, I was swallowing into my lungs, not in my stomach. So I literally had to relearn from the very beginning. Like I had to relearn how to breathe. I had to relearn how to swallow. I then had to kind of learn. I was so weak that I couldn't really even use my arms in the beginning. Like I could a little bit, but not, not a lot. There was, you know, I lost, I went from about 165 pounds and, and really fit to 120 or 25 pounds. So I lost a lot of muscle. Uh, it was a challenging time like to say the least and so the early days was i gave up i thought the rest of my life was going to be spent in a nursing home 100 percent dependent on everyone around me so the really early days were heavy heavy guilt especially because i was on a ventilator for about another month so i couldn't really talk to people 
And so a lot of this was internal about how I got so excited about speed flying. I found that passion again. And, and, and then I just let it get the best of me. And I let the adrenaline and the excitement and the presentness within it all get the best of me. And I, I, I ended up making a series of really bad mistakes that ruined my life. And I, yeah, I thought I was going to be in a nursing home to hundred percent dependent on everyone. So at that point, life was over. Like it was like mourning my death, but I was still alive, you know? So yeah. like crawling out of that was not, I mean, that, for me, it wasn't as long as it is for a lot of people. I, I got about three months, three and a half months into it. And I, I was still struggling. I was still in a very dark place. I was going through rehab and doing all that. I was still in the hospital, but I was, I was just like, why, what's the point, you know? Okay, cool. I'm lifting weights and building muscle. All right, cool. I can do a couple more things than I could, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but like, what's the point of all of this? Like if, I, if this is my life, what's the point? And then I ended up watching a film called murder ball, which is about quad rugby, quadriplegic rugby. And it not only talks about the sport, but it really follows the guy's lives. And what I found is that these guys are actually really happy and they're living a high quality of life. And they're, they're, they're really getting after it and they're setting goals and they're putting smiles on their faces and they're high-fiving their friends. And they're, you know, they have families, they have girlfriends, they had kids, they had, you know, all these things, jobs, all the stuff. And I was like, Oh, so wait, life is. And, and, and also what was great about this film is that these guys were similar injuries to me. So I was able to kind of like, it was kind of like looking in the mirror, which is really hard at first. So it was a neat transition. So but to back up a hair, I spent all of my days leading up to seeing that film, watching the film, um, a river runs through it, which is in Missoula, Montana. And it's all about fly fishing, which was a big passion of mine. And I watched that film like 20 or 30 times. Um, and it was like mourning this life that I used to have the whole time. You know, it was like, I, I just could, for whatever reason, I just kept watching that film and, and just like, it was like a way to say goodbye. And, and then I found murder ball and it was the first time that I started looking forward. And the first time I watched it was super sad. It was like looking in the mirror, like the way these guys are moving around. I was like, this is the rest of my life. You know, and I, after watching that film, I cried a ton and I, I like got done and I was like, no, this is the rest of my life. I'm not going to walk again. Like I, this is the rest of my life. So lots of tears, lots of like really hard, a hard, hard night, probably the hardest night of my life. And, or easily the hardest night of my life. And then I woke up the next morning though. And I was like, it was like huge weight lifted off my chest. Cause what had happened in that process without me really realizing was that I was accepting the situation. And once I accepted, like, this is the rest of my life, then I got to start looking forward. So I could start planning. I could start, I was like, okay, I'm getting stronger so I can do something. I don't know what that is, but I'm getting stronger for that. And, and then goals started getting set, you know, within my PT and, 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 uh, and OT therapy and stuff like that. And I started, you know, making my own meals at night, which was just taking leftovers and putting them in the microwave and throwing it on a plate, but I was doing it on my own. And I was staying up in my wheelchair longer. And then I started researching other things online and I, found a guy who used a wheelchair up in Canada who was paragliding and started seeing mountain biking with these different adapted mountain bikes. And, you know, I just started doing a lot of research. So kind of like the research I did to move out to Montana in the first place, I started digging into it in terms of trying to learn what life was going to look like. And there wasn't a ton online at that point. This is 2010. It was significantly different than the internet is now, but I found enough to realize there's something out there. And and yeah, I mean, from that point forward, it was like, okay, let's just, the first goal was to be independent within a year. And I told, I was told by a lot of people that was going to be 
and all I mean by that is just basic care is get up, get dressed and ready for the day. Like not driving, not working, not any of that stuff yet, but just wanted to get my basic cares down. And I was told that was probably going to take two to four years. And so I chose not to listen to that. I ended up hitting that point in seven months, which was, oh, wow. which was, um, I still to this day, I'm like, I don't really know how I did that. Like that was, you know, it was a lot of work. It was all day, every day. I had to put my hundred percent focus into it. But then I realized I had five months left to, to try to put a smile on my face. So yeah, I was independent, but it was still like, life sucks. You know, like I'm not doing anything. What Like life's over still. Yeah, I'm not in a nursing home. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, I'm going to live at home yeah, or like in my own home. Um, I can see I'll be driving again. I can see that eventually I'll have a job again. Like I can see that stuff in the future now, but none of it was like, there's nothing exciting about any of it. And then I, uh, so I had five months and I said, you know, I'm going to set a goal, like what I used to do back in the day. And that goal is going to be to try to put a smile on my face. So I found a hand cycle and decided I was going to use that hand cycle to climb the going to the sun road up in Glacier National Park, which is a 50 mile road. And it has one section that climbs for 12 miles. It's about 2,500 feet of elevation that you have to climb up. And, and I was going to try to bike it one day before the one year anniversary of my accident. So by the time I got that hand cycle, I had three months to train. And in that three months, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot. Like I can still get out and push myself physically. Um, I learned a lot. Like I don't sweat anymore. Uh, my heart rate doesn't go up as high. I learned all these issues that come with having a spinal cord injury, a high level cervical spine, uh, spinal cord injury specifically. And so there was some good and bad that I was taking in, in, in that training process, but mostly good. And I eventually got myself to the going to the sun road with an awesome group of friends and a film crew and everything else. And we spent eight and a half hours of me climbing just that 12 mile stretch. And I got to the top of Logan pass and my mind was just completely opened up. I was like, you know, if I could go from a speed fine crash to a month long induced coma to not being able to, you know, starting with not even being able to breathe or eat or swallow. And then over a year, get myself to learn that, get dressed, become independent, be pushing a manual wheelchair out of the power chair now, you know, and a number of other different things. I can cook meals. I can, you know, and, and then I can also chase a pretty big goal in the outdoors. And here I am at the top of Logan Pass all within one year. I was like, I can, okay, life's doable. The life I want is doable. And so, yeah, it was just like, I this like explosion in my mind of like, okay, it's game on again. Let's get after life. So we, we biked down the road. We had 12 miles of downhill, which was super fun, hooting and hollering and with all my friends. And then spent hours more to do the whole 50 miles. It took, it, it took exactly 14 hours to do the whole thing. And uh, which was, would take me like, you know, probably with the mountain pass, it'd probably take me like eight hours now or something like that, seven or eight hours. And I did it though, and was super fired up. And then it was just like that burst of life that was once in me before my injury was, was ignited again. So I just started trying new things. So that whole idea of staying curious, like I did when I stopped rollerblading or like stopped chasing the dream of rollerblading and, and was trying to find other things. It was like, what can I do? So like, what, what a rafting? I played quad rugby. I did some downhill skiing, tried cross country skiing, started trying all of these things. Um, all of it was fun. All of it was great. I met a lot of amazing people, but none of it had that passion in it. Uh, went after an Ironman, did some triathlon stuff. I mean, I had a really, really amazing few years. And then uh, now great friend of mine, Chris Santa Croce, 
you know, this is back in 2013, 2014, reached out to me and he said, Hey man, see what you're doing. I dig it. Just so you know, if you ever want to get back up in the air, I'm here for you. Little did I know, like Chris Anacroce is one of the like uh, legends in the paragliding speed flying <laughs> world. And, uh, and he invited me out. And so I set a date with him, went out to the point of the mountain in Salt Lake, Utah and Salt Lake city and started learning how to paraglide on the wheels. And wow. that ignited the passion and it was all, you know, full circle. And I was back and eventually I was traveling again. Eventually I was living on the road full time. Eventually I was, you know, I was public speaking so I could travel full time. I was living out of a full time or a five by 10 camper for a couple of years, just traveling full time, chasing warm air for paragliding. And, and yeah, I mean, it was a life filled with adventure, work and adventure, more adventure than work. And there was lots of smiles, lots of high fives and, the disability is obviously a part of my everyday life. It goes with me everywhere. I don't feel like I'm overcoming or, or tackling or, or any of that kind of stuff with my disability. I don't, it's not that it's just, I just learned how to live an awesome life with my disability. And that was, it was just, it was one hell of a journey, man. It was something that was, it's still ongoing, but that, the, you know, getting to that point was all the learning process of how can I get back to the life that I've always wanted to live? And yeah, I mean, that's like, that it was, it was a moment in time in my life that I'll cherish forever, but both because of like what I got back and how thankful and grateful I am for that, but also how hard I had to work for it. And then also how amazing community is when you open yourself up to it, how much people, even total strangers will help you out if you're presenting yourself in a way that makes people want to help you, which is more just being kind and open and and, uh, you know, coming to the table with a smile. And that was, that was uh, a really magical time in my life. I'll just leave it at that. It was magical. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's amazing and inspiring and all that, you know, the, the mindset, the, the goals, the reaching the goals, um, and, you know, kind of re reigniting that, that passion that, you know, that you had before. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing in itself, obviously, you know, to be able to, you know, make, make the best of the situation in that case and still kind of live the life that you wanted to, wanted to live, um, you know, no matter what. So, so with that, obviously, you know, you, you kind of had the, you know, like I said, that, that passion reunite with, with the outdoors, with these different activities, um, to, to flying again, to, to everything else. So, which now obviously with that backstory makes a lot of sense of, of what you're doing, um, with uh uh on uh, uh adaptive sports so what i guess where where was that like how did how did you learn about them and kind of how did that end of things start yeah so i back in 2013 i was training for an ironman triathlon and i was working with uh we were making a film the film's called it's raining so what you can find it online if you if you look for it it's on vimeo and um, so it's raining. So what was the project we were working on? I was working with uh, an awesome friend of mine slash mentor slash just amazing human, Kevin May. And Kevin May and I were filming a bunch. We were working on this project. And in, right before the Ironman, uh, his really good friend, David Trinus, were getting ready for a mountain bike festival at Grand Targhee outside of Driggs, Idaho, which is just on the other side of the Tetons from Jackson, Wyoming, which is where Teton Adaptive exists. So David was the director for this event 
and him and Kevin were chatting and they were like, we should get Joe out here to come test these trails and see if it works for adaptive mountain bikes. And if it does, you know, Joe's starting this foundation. He wants to get more people with disabilities into the outdoors. We had this whole inclusion model within this foundation that we were setting up that was to bring merge. It was, we were trying, trying to bridge the gap between people with and without disabilities through outdoor recreation. And so that was our, that was our goal. So we were joining already existing events and bringing the adaptive component to these events so that we had people with and with the, without disabilities recreating together. And so Wideho Rendezvous was the name of the festival. David invites me out. I, I show up there, that's over Labor Day weekend in at Grand Targhee. And uh, yeah, still training for the Ironman. So I'm early, waking up early doing my road bike rides and stuff like that. And then we go up on the mountain and we test out trails, like the, mostly the downhill trails and riding the chairlift and that sort of thing. Well, the, the, the people that came to help me was Teton Adaptive. So the original founder, Kurt Henry came out with the, uh, the program director at the time, um, Ryan Burke. And they were there to support me as an adaptive athlete testing out these trails. They had never been on them either. So no, no adaptive mountain bikes had ever been out there. And we rode the chairlift and we started doing some downhill trails. We learned what worked and didn't work. And, um, but even within the stuff that didn't work, we were having a blast. Everybody was like having an adventure, right? So, you know, once you get yourself into those trails, the only thing you can do is go down. There's no backing out. And so yeah. it was just problem solving and working together and trying to find ways around certain obstacles and then find the trails that are working really well and, and dial those in. And anyway, we got done with the festival. We had just a really cool experience there. And we were like, this is, this is worth inviting other people to. So let's, let's start doing that. And so Kurt looked at me and he goes, Hey, this is your baby. I can see that. So I want this to be your event, your, your event, like in terms of organizing the vision and that sort of thing. He goes, but just so you know, Teton Adaptive's got your back. We're, we'll support you hundred percent in this. I was like, awesome. And so we started working. We invited 10 or 12 people the following year that came out and, and everybody had a really good time, did some cross country rides, did a lot of downhill stuff, like just really had a great time. And, and it's camping the whole time, you know, so it was just like a, it's just a cool experience, right? You're in the outdoors for four days over Labor Day weekend. That's what you do. And, and then it grew and we got more partners and we had other nonprofits out there that do adaptive mountain biking coming out and bringing their equipment and their volunteers. And before we knew it, after a few years of this partnership, it turned into the largest adaptive mountain bike gathering in the world. Wow. Uh, we had about 30, we had 30 plus athletes with disabilities showing up to a festival that hosts 600 other people without disabilities. All of us riding cross country trails doing downhill rides, riding the chairlifts together, high-fiving, sharing meals, cheers and beers, and like all of that. And it just was a really cool event. And so that was, that became kind of my main thing that I was doing within the Joe Stone Foundation. I had some stuff that was going on with, um, in Missoula and around Montana, like paddleboard races and stuff. But those were all at that point organized well enough that I was able to step back and be like, you guys got this. I don't need to be there anymore. Uh, but Idaho was one that was like, I'm never letting go of Idaho. I'm always going to be there at Idaho. That is just a really special event that I, I always, I don't want to just turn it loose to other organizations, like, which I, I did in the end in, sense, in the sense of like all the organizing that goes on, but I was always going to be there to high five everybody and be a part of it. And so, so the, the relationship with Teton Adaptive, that's how it grew over the years. So to speed it up to where it is now with me working full-time as director of mission and my girlfriend, Caitlin, uh, got a physical therapy job in Jackson. This is right when COVID hit. 
And so I had lost all my speaking gigs. So my career was kind of done for a while for the foreseeable future. And I was like, well, I'll help you move to Jackson, but I'm not, I can't like rent a place. I'm living on the road full time. That works for not having a job. And uh, so I don't have rent, I don't have anything. And so I was like, I'll help you move in. I'll hang out. I'll be, you know, obviously we're still going to be together. We're going to date, but like, I mean, I got to figure out what my next moves are because I don't have any work right now. And I, I actually got hired by Teton Adaptive to make their 15 year anniversary video. I did a little bit of video work on the side, more of a hobby than anything, not, not like a full on career, but I know, I know how to use cameras and do some editing. So I made them a 15 year video, 15 year anniversary video. And at the end of it, my boss, my now boss, Christy, the executive director, um, offered me a full-time position and said, this position's literally, I've created it for you to be here. She'd been trying to get me to move to Jackson <laughs> and work full-time with, with Teton Adaptive for a few years, but she'd always call me like in February and I'd be in California paragliding. And she'd be like, yeah, when, what's it going to take to get you out of here? And I'm like, how much snow you got? She's like, well, I got a six foot snow drift out, out my door. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sitting in 80 degrees on the coast. So <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to stick to doing what I'm doing. But, uh, but since Caitlin was here, you know, and I really wanted our relationship to continue moving forward, it would just all made sense. It was the right time, right place. Uh, and that was about a year and a half, two years ago. And yeah, now I've been working full-time for Teton Adaptive ever since. And I guess full-time with Teton Adaptive for about a year and a half now. And yeah. And so we got a cool mission, which is real similarly aligned to what I was doing with the Joe Stone Foundation, which is about inclusion. So we partner with already existing organizations and businesses to help them be able to also welcome in people with disabilities. So our model is we do, we provide the training that the organization needs. We will provide equipment that they need to be able to properly support people with disabilities. And then we have scholarship funding for those that can't afford the activities so that we're basically trying to break down all the barriers that might get in the way for people with disabilities and their friends and families to be able to go and enjoy these activities. So that's what we do around Jackson. And it's a really cool way and approach to be able to create more inclusion in the outdoor industry, which I feel like is kind of the, the final piece to bringing more inclusion is in the outdoors. Um, I think we're doing pretty good, obviously room to grow in all aspects of, of the world you know, to, to grow, you know, especially if you just focus on the United States, it's like, we need to do better in schools. We need to do better in the workplace. We need to be better at college campuses. We need to do better in our general communities and all that, but we've got a good start. You know, things are pretty accessible and we're more accessible than most other areas. And uh, the stigma against disability isn't quite as strong in the United States as it is in other countries and things like that. Like we're moving forward. Um, and there's still a lot of work within all of those areas I just explained that needs to be done, but it's, it's good. It's the best it's ever been in all of time for people with disabilities. The outdoor industry, although it's the best it's ever been in all of time, it has had the least amount of work compared to, you know, schools and jobs and government buildings and, you know, public places and stuff like that. So that's what we're, that's what we're getting after is the outdoor industry trying to make it to where people with disabilities feel invited, feel welcomed and that them and their friends and family can all go recreate together. Yeah. That's awesome. Kind of, like you said, kind of bring, bring everybody together in that sense, you know, no matter what the, the ability ability is. And, and then obviously, you know, working with different businesses and stuff and, you know, help helps with that as well. Kind of open the eyes to, to what is, what is possible and what you're trying to, to do. So it, now, as far as like the, uh, you know, I guess 
I don't know if finding participants is the right word or not to use, but I guess one, how do you like, you pretty much offer just about every outdoor activity from what I see on the, on the website, which is, which is awesome. But as far as like trying to find people and getting them involved or back involved in these outdoor activities, if maybe they, you know, didn't do that sort of as you did afterwards, like what, what is that kind of outreach like? So Jackson's a unique area. We're a really small town. So it's, it's not, you know, people that are local here, it's not a huge population, but it brings in a lot of tourism. So we have quite a bit of people that come out here. They're just on vacations that are getting getting into these activities. We do have a lot of locals that we serve as well. Um, I think, you know, like the, a big part to kind of answer exactly what you're talking about. Like I spend a lot of time as a peer mentor with people. Um, and that's not just for people with spinal cord injuries. It's really just people with disabilities that, are uh, looking to make some steps to improve the quality of their life, especially if they're trying to get into the outdoors. So often it ends up being conversations with people who are newly injured, you know, with spinal cord injuries and things like that. Uh, but it, but like I said, it stretches much further beyond that. So there's a lot of outreach that goes on where I'm communicating with people to try to help them out to find avenues. Some of that's coming to Jackson to enjoy some of the stuff we're able to do and try the different bikes that we have and try different activities to, to search for that passion for themselves for life again. And uh, some of that's just steering them in the right directions because they could, they could live in Southern California or they could live in North Carolina or wherever. Um, so obviously I can't, you know, we're not getting together face to face, but we can, um, I can help steer them in some directions in their areas that can help them with that. So there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations that go on to try to help people have a better understanding of how they can get into the outdoors and find those opportunities of whatever it is they're looking for. Um, and, and then there's, you know, there's the stuff we're doing in town that, you know, we have awareness days that we do where we have a couple different awareness days for mountain biking and for paddling and for paragliding and, you know, other forms of recreation where we're just inviting everybody out that are local or traveling in the area to come out and just try the gear, see what it's all about and get on some trails and see, you know, they've never, they, so, so we end up getting people that are never evers. They've never done any of it to people that are pretty savvy and they're more or less the pros of the industries and they're out there just, you know, to have a good time as well. And Idaho is a good example of that. That brings in people from all over and it brings in all skill levels. So we've got the never evers where we're putting them on a hand cycle for the first time and really got to teach them from the start to some of the best in the country that are, you know, out they just want to come because it's a good rad group of people and they can go out and they can, you know, get as gnarly as they want on the trails and, and be with a lot of other people that are doing, playing the same game. So, so Idaho is a great example of like an event that, that is welcoming people to be able to come and explore that because what's cool about Idaho is it's not just mountain biking, it's camping and it's putting yourself in the public's eye again. And if you haven't done that since your disability became a part of your life and so there's more elements to it than just getting on a bike again that help increase the quality of someone's life. So yeah, we host different events, partnering with all of our partners that we have around Jackson that not only have the adaptive equipment and staff and volunteers and everybody that we need to be able to support individuals coming out to get out and try it so they feel supported, but we're actually physically inviting them as well, which I think is something that doesn't happen very often in the outdoor industry. So. We're trying to create this culture where people with disabilities feel not only welcome, but invited to participate in different activities. 
And then once they're at these events, we let them know like, hey, you can come mountain biking anytime you want. And we have scholarship funding if you can't do that, you know, if you can't afford it. So, so let's sign up, let's get you four days of lessons on the mountain or let's, you know, let's get you up in the air paragliding next week or whatever it is. And try to get people to like put their names on pieces of paper and commit to doing things. And, and then, you know, it blossoms from there. That's awesome. And, and you know, g- giving them that, that inspiration and, and kind of that, that hand, um, you know, to, to welcome them in and, and show them what's possible. And it sounds like, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, a scholarship type program or whatnot for individuals that might not be able to afford it. And it also sounds like um, the, the adaptive equipment bikes or what have you are, are provided by you all as well from what I understood, at least there. So I guess that was also another level of you kind of breaking down a barrier to entry to kind of getting in back into that lifestyle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we like to say we fill gaps. So where we see gaps in the industry that doesn't, that, that, that creates a spot where a person with a disability is not able to get involved. We're just trying to fill that in the three areas that we've identified as the gear because it's really expensive. So it's hard for a business to purchase a $20,000 trike, yeah. to, you know, provide to people that to use, you know, they're small business as well. They're just trying to survive like $20,000 is a big hit, you know, so we can get grant funding as a nonprofit and we can get donors to, to get to help us out with equipment and stuff like that so that we can uh, provide that to businesses. Um, we have some of it in house as well. So depending on the situation, we do some stuff in-house and some stuff is through our partners. Um, the training is a big part. So individuals without disabilities who have never really spent any time around people with disabilities are a little nervous. And I understand that because I was there once too. And so we just go in and we try to explain to them what are some good ways to you know support people with disabilities and uh, proper language to use and just kind of break down how normal it really is to communicate with people with disabilities and make the companies and their staff feel confident and comfortable now working with, communicating with, and problem solving with people with disabilities. And then the final piece to that is people with disabilities, whether or not they have the funding. You know, living with a disability is a really expensive lifestyle to live. And so it comes with so much more than living without a disability. So we recognize that. And so not everybody can afford to go and do all these activities. And we want to get, we want to help that as well, because, you know, you look at something like paragliding, you know, it's like 400 bucks to fly off of Jacksonville mountain resort and to do a tandem, which is a lot of money. And so we want to make sure that everyone has the option for that. So we help pay for that. And, uh, some people pay for it, About half of the people last summer paid for it on their own and about half of them didn't have the funding and we paid for them. And the cool thing about that is paragliding, although it's a, a, like a one-time experience, you know, you land and it's over and it's done. And unless you're going to go learn to fly with project airtime. Like I did, like, it's usually not people don't just do tandems every weekend because it's just too expensive. And, um, so, but even though it's a once in a lifetime thing, for the most part, it, that energy that's harnessed from something that magical, that like crazy of an experience and paragliding is just unlike anything else. You pull fabric out of a backpack, you lay it out of the mountain and you, somehow are able to fly off the mountain. <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't really make sense and we get to do it so we're super lucky there uh, but people harness that energy and I, i've seen it time and time again where people take that energy from that experience and they apply that to the rest of their life and i'll get emails from people every now and again like years later and they'll be like dude i just want to let you know like ever since that experience this is now what i'm doing like i got home and realized whoa i can do more i should do more i can work again i can 
you know, whatever, whatever it might be, I can get healthier, I can eat healthier, start exercising, like whatever it is, doesn't matter. But though I've had a number of people reach out and say, you know, this, this made me realize I could do more in my life. And, and then the quality of their life went up since that experience. And that's really what we're after that all of it, like riding bikes is fun. Paragliding is fun. Getting on the rivers is fun. All of that stuff is fun, but really underneath it all, it's about raising the quality of life. And I think people with disabilities are pretty darn good at harnessing that energy and doing that, but they need to be um, invited to the opportunity to grab that energy and go because it hasn't really been a thing in the past to be invited to that. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And I like what you said, you know, you, you fill, fill the gaps and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the overall goal, like you said too, is to improve the overall quality of life. And then those kind of activities are the tools to do that and kind of ripple out to the other aspects of their life, which is awesome as well. And I, I know you just mentioned a couple, you know, emails and stuff that, you know, you get often and stuff as far as, um, you know, the impact that you're having, is there, is there any like specific story or something with, with someone else who's maybe, maybe, maybe new to it or, or anything like that, that really just stood out ab- above the rest or, or anything like that? Man, there's a long list of them, um, <laughs> long list of them. And I'm not a big fan of comparing them, but, uh, the, the, I think one that always has stood out to me, which is funny because I just texted them uh, husband and wife that I haven't, I haven't chatted with in a, in a number, probably a couple of years, but, um, um, so I, I won't name any names, but this gentleman has a spinal cord injury and he's on a ventilator full time. And he came out, this is before I worked at Teton Adaptive and, but he came out to fly at Project Airtime, but I, I don't remember how I got in touch, but they, they reached out and said, Hey, we'd love to travel out. They live out in the Southeast and they'd love to travel out and, and, um, and try to paraglide. And they're wondering like, Hey, you know, I'm on a ventilator full time. Is that doable? So I reached out to Chris and I was like, Hey man, here's a new one for us. Think you you're into flying someone who's uh, on a vent 24 <laughs> seven. And Chris is just, he's one of the coolest humans out there. And so he was like, absolutely. We'll figure it out. I have them come out. The only way we can figure it out is if they come out. And so I was like, okay. So I give them the thumbs up. They travel all the way out and they ended up it, it ended up going really well and they we i think i think he got like three flights with chris his whole family went flying uh not to mention they were in salt lake city so they did all kinds of other things that are really uh, accessible there and and that part of it was pretty neat for them to be able to get out and have this whole vacation with the whole family and um and they were just blown away and they, they really shared with me throughout the five days i was sharing with them about how hard it is for somebody at that level of injury on a ventilator full time. There's just a, there's almost no opportunities out there. And so for fun, right. You know? And so I was just like kind of heartbroken for one, because that just sucks. And I was so close to being in that situation. And so I could relate in some way, like can't truly relate because I'm not in it, but it's like, I was on a ventilator for a while. I did have a fear and was told I may not ever get off the ventilator. Like I had those fears. I just was lucky enough to where it didn't like, like stick around. But, um, so to some, to some degree I could relate, but I, I, I was just kind of heartbroken by the fact that that's a thing, but I was also really grateful that I was able to, facilitate a little bit of trying to help them get to be able to do these opportunities, you know, take advantage of these opportunities. 
Now, I'm not the one doing the flying. I'm not the one doing all that, but just to be able to be there and just know I played a role, no matter how big or small, like that, that was what was really cool to me. So that was a fun experience for all of us. There was some tears of joy and sadness within all of it. There was, it was I really got to know this couple and their, and their family really well over that five days. And then it was like a year or two later, I reached out just to see how they were doing. And yeah, he was telling me, he's like, you know, like I'm eating healthier now. I'm, I'm doing more with work. I'm doing, and he just started really expressing how that, how that really increased his motivation to want to do better and knowing that he could do better. And he wasn't just stuck in this like gray area of like being able to do a little, but not a lot. Like now he's doing a lot. And that was really cool to me because it was just one of those one of those, it was just a really unique experience because I really got to share time with them. So sometimes it's helping somebody and it's just one email and all they needed was some advice or a, a resource. Sometimes it's a series of phone calls and then every now and again, it's like, I get really lucky and I get to share some real time with people. That was one that stood out because we we connected, our energies connected in general. They became good friends and, and, and to see that their quality of life was better after that made it all it drives it home right that's what it's all yeah. about and so that's um yeah that i guess that'd be one story that i'm pretty uh pretty grateful to have been able to be a part of and and yeah it's funny i literally just i thought of them yesterday and was like man it's been a while i wonder what they're up to and i texted <laughs> you and we, we're gonna facetime here sooner or later so um yeah that'd be one of them but that's a uh, that's one of of many it's been doing this for about a decade and so um you know, there's some, there's some cool stories out there that I'm, like I said, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Grateful to be able to help and, and uh, share what I've learned and, and grateful that, um, you know, I'm still alive and able to do the things I'm doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's clear from the stories and stuff, you know, the, the type of impact that you're, that you all are making and that, and, you know, those, those stories that like you say, kind of bring it all, bring it all home in that sense. So one thing I always like to ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice for our listeners. Um, and I think one thing that you, you kind of kept touching on um, is for the welcoming aspect of it. You know, you're, you're trying to make more people aware, you know, people, you know, maybe without disabilities of what's possible and kind of, and kind of build, bring that whole community, those two communities together in that sense so sort of from that, that standpoint or from that perspective, you know, I guess, what would your a piece of advice be for, you know, businesses, other, you know, festivals, you know, across the world or, you know, outdoor festivals, that kind of things to kind of, you know, help, help make that, that step and that progression that you guys are obviously doing um, to make everything kind of more inclusive from the adaptability um, standpoint. Yeah, I think I think the big one is just stay curious, right? And that's for people, for businesses, that's for individuals, that's for people with disabilities, that's all across the board. So if you're a business, like don't get complacent, which is doing the same thing over and over again. Stay curious, find new ways to invite more people. The outdoors is for everyone. Your business should be for everyone, everybody who wants it, right? So so if you stay curious, you can learn more. You can you can invite more people. You can learn new ways to market to more people. You can you can continue to grow. You know, both as a business in the in the dollar sign, but also um, in the amount of people that you serve and the the variety of people that you serve. So, um, within that, like being open to accepting some information from people. So, like you know, if you're trying to include people with disabilities in that in your business, reach out to people with disabilities. Reach out to Teton Adaptive. Reach out to the community that you're trying to serve, 
and ask questions and get them involved. Because if you do it without having them involved, you know, we'd like to say nothing about us without us. So yeah. if you're, you know, you're going to make mistakes if you don't include the community you're trying to serve. So if you've never been a mountain biker and you've never really spent any time on a bike and you open a bike shop doing guided mountain bike rides, like <laughs> you better have some mountain bikers in the mix to make sure you're doing it right. And so like, that's the same for serving people with disabilities. Just get people with disabilities at the table, get organizations that are serving people with disabilities at the table make sure you're doing it in a way that represents and welcomes in people with disabilities in the way that they want and curiosity is what's going to lead you there right so not acting like you think you know everything and recognizing that there's probably some things you don't know and try to find those answers and now yeah. let's say this part stretches out further right so if you're a person with a disability you're trying to figure out a way to you know enjoy life again or enjoy life for the first time or just learn something new, whatever, stay curious, try a bunch of new things. That's the best part. Learning new things is the, the most fun. Once you learn them and you become more or less an expert in something like that, that feeling when everything's new is so unique. It's so fun. And that eventually dies. If you, if you get like, like paragliding, for example, right? Like the first time your feet leave the ground, you'll never experience that again. Like that is the craziest feeling ever. And it's because it's new. Now, if you've done it a, you know, a thousand times, then it's like, okay, it's the normal and you want it to feel normal because if it doesn't feel normal, then something's usually wrong, but, <laughs> um, but it's not the same anymore. Now you're, 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 you're trying to make, it's a different game you're playing at that point. Um, so when things are new, they're exciting and they're fresh and it's new sensations and emotions and feelings and all that. So stay curious, get out there, try new things until you find something that really grabs you. And um, it's out there. And it's not all sports. It's not all outdoors. Sometimes it's the arts. Sometimes it's business. Sometimes it's family, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just find that thing that grabs you. And once you have that, then the rest of your life just gets amplified from there. So that could be business. That could be individuals, people with and without disabilities. I just like to tell people to stay curious. If you're not curious anymore, you've gotten complacent in life and that's a dangerous place to be in my book. I love it. No, that makes complete sense from, from kind of all perspectives, as you just said, to, to kind of stay curious um, so to that point, after uh, people are finished listening to this, they're going to be curious to learn more about you all. So where, where can they find you online? See, see what you're up to, find the, the different inspiration. Maybe they can come visit. Maybe they're trying to do something local, whatever, just to connect with you all. Yeah. So tetonadaptivesports.com gets you to our website. Same thing for Instagram and Facebook, Teton Adaptive Sports. Uh, then you'll see tons of stuff, events coming up, just things that we like to share, moments that we've had, that kind of thing. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, my Instagram is at beat Joe stone. And it's the same thing for Facebook, Joe stone. You can look me up on there. I've got a, like a public page and a, in like a private, just friends page or whatever, but welcome everybody into all of that. Um, so yeah, meet Joe stone on, on Instagram. That's probably the best spot. That's where I do most of my posting and sharing. You can reach out to me through there. Um, I do my best to respond to people as quickly as possible. And the same thing with Teton adaptive, just look us up. Um, you want to come out and visit the area. Our website has tons of information on how, uh, what kind of options you have in the area to do that are totally inclusive and adaptive friendly. And uh, if you got questions beyond that, just give us a call, choose an email, choose a message over social media. There's a bunch of different ways to get a hold of us and we do our best to respond to all of them. So that'd be how you get a hold of us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure uh, you, you check them out and, and see what they're up to, get some inspiration, learn, learn more about everything. 
uh, and to echo, stay curious with that. Uh, but anyways, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, kind of share your story, you know, the, the progression of that journey, um, and then how it's, you know, kind of come for full circle in a well, in a way is, you know, you impacting others kind of, um, from the adaptive side of things and even people that, you know, aren't on that side of, uh, the, the perspective, but, uh, anyways, with that being said, I, I appreciate it again. And I wish, uh, wish you the best of luck, uh, for the, for the coming year. Thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to learn a little bit about what we're doing and giving me this platform to share it. And, um, yeah, I love how you thanks for listening. And Hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, yeah, thanks, go ahead yeah. and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life emotion. Until next time.